joining your chapter set up a scholarship program. It's the gift that keeps on giving. It's the gift that keeps on recruiting. It's the gift that keeps on creating leaders in your own chapter. You're listening to the Teak Nation Podcast with Donnie Aldrich, where we strive to educate, inspire, and entertain you with tips and lessons from frauders and friends of TKE. Thank you for joining us. Welcome in to this episode of the Teak Nation Podcast. I am fired up for our guest that we have today. He is an alumnus of the Epsilon chapter at Iowa State University, one of our leading chapters in Teak Nation, has a a strong heritage and one that has been fostered by this man. Honored to welcome Frater Roger Underwood. Thank you for being our guest today. Thank you, Frater. Uh, I'm honored to be here. And part of the, the topic area that we want to cover today, Frater Underwood, is, is talking about chapter scholarships and even a little bit about alumni associations. This is an area that you really have championed. There's a team in Ames, Iowa, that's been a part of that. I know you are a very humble man, so you will not take full credit for it, but you definitely have played a large role in spearheading that effort. Can you talk about the current scholarship program that you have at Epsilon, what you have built, the, the kind of support that you are giving those collegiate members, and, and some of the background and how that's come into existence? Sure, thanks, Frater. The current scholarship program at, uh, at Epsilon Chapter goes under an umbrella that we call the Craddaville Scholarship Program, named after our 39-year serving chapter advisor, Millard R. Millard Rigby Craddaville, uh, who served from 1946 until 1984, I believe. And uh, in 1963, Dr. Dan Griffin, who was then Vice President of Iowa State, the, the Chief Legal Officer for Iowa State, he championed this idea of raising money to create a scholarship program for our chapter members. And so in 63, they raised a few hundred dollars and they gave it all away that year. And, uh, and uh, then they found it to be so successful, they started to raise money and created an endowment. And that was in 1963 and the program runs until today. That's great. Can you, can you touch upon the current, you said it was a few hundred dollars when it, when it initially began. Can you talk a little bit about the type of support that you are giving the current collegiate member? How many scholarships, approximation of the, the type of financial support that you're able to provide due to the work of the, the folks who participate in the scholarship program? Sure. So uh, again, the first year, they, they didn't have any named scholarships. They just uh, sent out applications for members in the fraternity. And uh, two $500 scholarships were awarded the, the year 1963-64 school year. Two $500 scholarships were awarded. So let's fast forward uh, to today. We just awarded uh, for this, this school year, this academic school year, 2021, we awarded 76 individual scholarships to 42 different men, totaling $66,096. We're very proud of that. Uh, the, the scholarships are now given in many frauders' names. We award scholarships in two house mothers' names, a current house mother and a past house mother. And um, interestingly enough, I'll bet we're one of the few fraternities in the country that awards three $1,500 scholarships annually named after a former chapter dog. Yes, that's true. After Benny the dog from the early 60s, 
meant so much to one member, um, how this dog brought people together, how this dog was known to everybody in the Greek system. These scholarships are awarded to members who are well known through the Greek system, bring great honor to our chapter, to the name Teak, and uh, great honor to our university. And, uh, and he awarded the money, he do donated the money, so he got to name the scholarship. Well, I'm going to go on a limb and say that you have to be one of the only chapters, if not the only chapter to have, have that distinction. You talk about that 66,000 plus number and the amount of folks that you're able to help. The, the first thing that I'm sure the membership that are listening to this and some of our alumni that are listening to this, their first question is going to be, how did you do that? What is, what is some of the infrastructure? What are some of the things that you put in place, Roger, members of your team put in place to make that large leap from $500 to $500 gifts, $1,000 all the way to 66. Because a, a giant aspect of this conversation, I know a, a passion area for you is how can we inspire others to be able to model what you have taken and, and to replicate it on for, for their chapter possibly? What are the things that, that you did, maybe principles that were put in place, steps taken to, to make that giant leap from 1,000 to 66,000 over the last 50 plus years? Well, that's a great question, Frauder. And the, the answer is, it's like a tapestry where you look at it on one side and the, and the one side of the tapestry looks so well organized and you turn that tapestry over and on the back, it's all frayed, knotty, yarn hanging everywhere and string everywhere. And, uh, and I often use that example, much like running a fraternity. So on the one side, we have this very well-developed uh, scholarship program with uh, a million six in our endowment and uh, pledges to roll it up to two million by 2023. Um, how did we get there? Well, it wasn't always smooth on the front. It begins with solid communication with your alumni. You have to project why you want to have this scholarship program. What's the value? What's the value to them as an alumni? And then what's the value to the chapter? We projected that out. We had solid communication through our typical chimes, which is the name of our newsletter to our alumni, and, uh, and highlighted the reason that we want a scholarship program. That was to bolster leadership, and that was to bolster academics, and uh, bolster our position and the name Teak on campus. We tied that all together by approaching individuals. Again, after we had good communication, um, for several years, uh, we approached individuals and said, hey, what do you think about being a part of this program? And, uh, and we got some reception. Obviously, we were targeting people that we thought would be receptive. Alternatively, people would mention to me, either through an email or a phone call, or I'd run into them somewhere, and they would say, Roger, tell me more about Epsilon Scholarship Program. Well, to me, that was really a sign of saying, I'm interested in helping to participate financially in this program. And then I would call on them and I would ask them, you know, what, what do they feel they have to offer and why are you interested and, and how do you feel you could help our young undergraduates with our scholarship program? Sometimes that turned into a formal ask where someone would say, I'd like to name a scholarship after myself or I'd like to name a scholarship after somebody who was very important to me while I was an undergraduate or early in my career, someone who was an Epsilon frauder, or in the case of two house mothers or a chapter dog in the early 60s. So we, we began to 
um, have these name scholarships and our, and our endowment slowly grew. And as it grew, more people through our communication would learn of the program and see its success. And as we all know, people like to be a part of, of a success. So then more and more people expressed interest. And now it's not uncommon for me to uh, the last several years to sign up now one or two endowed scholarships a year. I'm working on three right now. And uh, we would sign these scholarships up and then they give money. And then after a year of the money in the endowment, it's earned enough interest that we can, we can give it away. And, uh, and, and again, this past year, um, we had 12 members receive $2,000 or more. And our highest member earned $7,900 from our Teak Scholarship Program. That's tremendous. Two, two key words I heard in there from, from Prada Roger. One is value and being able to articulate and highlight and talk about the value of the scholarship and what it intends to do. And the second piece for everyone else out there listening, especially if we have a, a young officer corps who's inspired by this and wants to take off and run, knowing what your vision is, knowing what your mission is, what you're trying to accomplish, and to be able to articulate and communicate that. And Roger did a great job in highlighting the work that they had done on the communication in before the, the asks started to happen, before the exploration of how folks could want to get engaged and involved. And the interesting piece, and, and obviously Roger, with so much experience you have, it starts to, to steamroll, right? It starts to snowball yes. in terms of folks get interested as you articulated, but also uh, the asks get a little easier on your end as well, right? Because they, they are leading you to where they want to go and leading you to ways that they feel inspired that they, that they can contribute. I had, I had one frauder <clears throat> I talked to probably three years now ago, and, um, and he said, if you're going to be in the area, come see me. And uh, it was about a thousand miles from here. And uh, so I was in the area and I went and saw him and he said, I'm a little offended. And I said, oh gosh, what did I do to offend you? And he says, why wasn't I one of the first people that you approached to give money to that scholarship named after that really special frauder? I said, well, I didn't mean to offend you. And then he kind of winked at me and he said, oh, I'm just kind of half kidding. But he said, when I saw what you guys were doing to honor that man who meant so much to me when I was just a lowly little freshman at Absalon Chapter, I said to my wife, we are going to participate. And, uh, and I've received almost $100,000 from that individual now for three different scholarships that he's contributed to. This individual doesn't want one named after himself. He wants to hide in the shadows, but he wants to actively be a part of these other, other scholarships. It's, it's been interesting. Um, one frauder who was a Preakness, uh, frauder Chuck Olson, um, he heard about the scholarship program and he said, I was Preakness. It's not easy being Preakness. Could I set up a scholarship, endow it, and have the Preakness every year automatically get a scholarship just as a, a little bit of thanks for taking that extra time to be Preakness? I said, Chuck, it's your checkbook. We'll be happy to do it. And we now have the Chuck Olson Family Preakness Scholarship, which is awarded automatically to our Preakness. Um, that's just one small example. Um, I, I have to tell the, the, the story of uh, Frater Chuck Colby. May he rest in peace. Frater Colby was a Preakness. He was Cardinal Key, which is the highest honor you can get at Iowa State when you graduate. Um, 
he was uh, in charge of so many things at Iowa State. He was a rush chairman. He was so many things. And Chuck, unfortunately, was hit by a car on his bicycle and uh, suffered for quite some time, uh, 10 years or more, and then died. And at his funeral in the parking lot, the, the frauders from his era were saying, what can we do to honor Frauder Colby? What can we do? And I said, well, you could start a scholarship in his name. I think he'd like that. And about 30 minutes later, I left with either $75,000 in checks or pledges to set up that Colby scholarship. And today it has almost $140,000 in its endowment. And we awarded last year one scholarship for $4,500. That's our top scholarship in the name of Frater Chuck Colby. So it's a great way to honor somebody who was an important part of any chapter and others can contribute to them. And how often, Roger, I love, thank you again for these stories, they're phenomenal. And part of the, the piece that strikes me is, this is in the lexicon or in the culture of the conversations that you're having, right? It took, it took your energy to, to travel that thousand miles. I understand you might've been in the area, but you made the trip, right? To go out of your way to have this conversation that now that's, that turned into a, a very lucrative scholarship that's benefiting a lot of people. Additionally, at, at this uh, frauder's unfortunate passing, for you to bring up the conversation of a way to honor him when so many were moved by his spirit and wanting to, to move in that direction. Is that, is that something that's just in your, in your lifeblood at this point in terms of having that conversation to folks expect when you walk into a room at an alumni event or any get together that Roger's probably in some way going, going to talk about the scholarships and how folks can be supportive? It, it is. Um, I love raising money. Um, that's what's unusual. Um, uh, I just love raising money for causes I believe in. And, and Teak is certainly at the top of my list. Iowa State and Boy Scouts are very important to me. Um, but when it comes to Teak, it comes natural because Teak means so much to me. It, it made such a difference in my life. And so uh, I, I have been involved in fundraising through the Iowa State University Foundation. I've gotten some great training. And I learned a long time ago, you have to have a good product to sell. It has to be dressed up. It has to be polished. It has to be that shiny thing, like something on the shelf behind me in my office. And, uh, and if you have something good to sell, then you have to understand your audience. And my audience are frauders that graduated from Epsilon Chapter. It's a narrow group, um, and it's an easily focused upon group. So we communicate our program through our newsletters and through emails, and uh, and then and then. Uh, it's easy to approach others and, and just make that ask. And if somebody says, no, I'm not offended, and you'd be not surprised at how often they come back later and say, hey, I've been thinking about this. So you have to be willing to ask. You have to have a clear message to your ask, and you have to have a, that good product. So we have uh, about 22 scholarships right now, and they all have uh, with the exception of one or two scholarships, they all have some common components. One is an academic performance. So the donor or the donors to setting up a scholarship, they have the right to set what are the academic performance parameters to qualify to apply. Oftentimes that's an all men's average or an all Greek average or an all Greek men's average um, grade point requirement. And we usually break that down previous semester. Um, we, we don't want somebody resting on their coattails and, and scooting in on a scholarship 
we usually say previous semester. Some do say though cumulative. Then we have a leadership component to almost every single scholarship. Some say you have to be active in two activities on campus, two activities in the chapter house. Um, maybe one on campus, one in the house. It could be, it can vary because the donor gets to help set that criteria. We had one donor who's now deceased and uh, he was a physician and very decorated in Vietnam War. And he set our highest academic performance, which is you have to have a cumulative of 3.4 and you have to be in two chapter activities at the time of application and two on campus. Um, but those are $2,000 scholarships, each one. Um, and we do have one scholarship where there's no grade point average and uh, you just have to be really involved at fixing and repairing doors and windows and steaming the carpet and everything in the chapter house. It was given by a guy who never technically graduated from Iowa State, um, i.e. The, uh, the grade point average uh, non-requirement, but somebody who to this day serves on our board and is very loyal to the chapter. And he said, I want a scholarship to go to that person who the place just frankly wouldn't run without. So we have a smattering of ways to give and, uh, and that appeals to even more donors. Well, and what these antidotes that you're continuing to touch upon highlight to me is something that I'm sure you know, and that is that giving is a very, very personal experience. And as, as folks think about how they can craft the type of scholarship program that you've created, is there any advice you would give for not just yourself, but, but the other folks who possibly are in your army that are out there asking folks to contribute, asking folks to, to move in this direction and, and support frauders? Is there other advice that you would give them as they are having these conversations? Because it, it is a very personal experience to contribute and obviously to structure a scholarship in a way that supports the, the donor's wishes. Certainly ask to, um, uh, if the wife wants to be involved in the discussion, sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. But the fact that you're sensitive to asking if that's interesting to them, uh, the wife usually appreciates it. And I think if she's hearing you from the kitchen or the den or the living room, this discussion uh, later, she's probably more for it. Um, versus just making it look like it's a fraternal discussion. Um, I, I think that um, doing your homework on your potential donor is critical. What can you glean from a university website? What can you get off Google to learn about their work career? And, um, and if you're having to learn everything that way, you probably haven't been developing enough of a relationship earlier the past few years and maybe touching that donor or potential donor with a thank you letter for coming to homecoming or a thank you note for stopping by the chapter house for a visit or those few things that kind of soften up the, the future donor uh, to make them more willing to donate. Then once they make that donation and they get the scholarship set up, have them review the criteria and set the criteria with you. Approve it and strike kind of a formal agreement that this is the criteria and you're gonna keep it going forward. Then the scholarship's awarded. So we award scholarships in the spring at a banquet. We make it very formal. You have to wear a coat and tie. We invite your parents, we invite your siblings, your, your uh, girlfriend. Um, uh, it's a sit down plated meal. 
and uh, we read the criteria for each scholarship every year. It probably gets repetitive by the time you're a senior, if you've been to several of these. But we never want to lose track of who are these teaks that walked before us in the halls of our fraternity that we're now honoring through this program. We then give the scholarships, you get a certificate, we take pictures afterwards, and here's where the real key comes in. You then are given a list of who the donor was, who the donors were, or the donor's family, and their address. And you type them a letter that thanks them for the scholarship, that tells how that scholarship is going to change your academic life and your, and your overall uh, quality of life as a student and you send them a picture with you holding the certificate. And I can't tell you the number of times I've had a donor call me or write me later and say, you have no idea, I just got a copy of this letter. Read this letter, this young man's going places. And, uh, and usually within a year or two, here comes some more money for the scholarship. So it's a full circle. It isn't just giving out away a scholarship to a student, it's making sure that that student personally thanks that donor and, uh, and we have a few scholarships where there's nobody left. The, the family's all gone. And, uh, and, and so they're, they're told that, then they don't have to write, of course, that letter. But it's a, it's a whole strategy that never really stops from the time you cultivate that donor all the way to the time that the donor's getting a thank you letter from the student after they receive the scholarship. Well, that's where I wanted to go next was to talk about stewardship because if, if you put in all the time and the work to create the infrastructure of the scholarship program, you, you start to accumulate folks who were passionate and excited about contributing. The stewardship piece is absolutely the fuel that keeps the engine running. Are there other aspects in addition to this letter that, that folks are, are typing up as well as sending their picture with the holding the scholarship? Are there other aspects that either you or members of the board, folks that are involved, other things that you're doing to continue to steward that donor as time moves forward? I will occasionally just drop a note to, uh, I probably should keep a spreadsheet so it's more formalized, but I will, I will say to myself, hey, I haven't had contact with so-and-so for a while, and there is a donor or a potential donor, and uh, I've got some really nice uh, Epsilon chapter stationery with a picture of the chapter house on the front, and I'll just write them a note, a handwritten note. They can tell it's not some generic letter that comes off the computer, but I'll write a hand note and say, hey, Bob, or hey, Pete, um, haven't seen you by here lately, haven't visited, but I wanted you to know that I was thinking about you the other day as I was working on the scholarship program, you know, hint, hint. And, uh, and I include a business card that I have for Epsilon Chapter, um, which has, you know, email, cell phone, at my address, and um, uh, so I'm just continually prodding and touching to stay in contact with them. Again, I'm working on three scholarships. Well, two scholarships right now with three different donors. Uh, we started a new scholarship last year where we wanted to honor one of our frauders whose family uh, is, is very uh, uh, esteemed and very well thought of at Iowa State. And that's frauder uh, John Adanasoff. Uh, now of Boulder, Colorado. John's father, um, hang on students, he invented the computer right here at Iowa State. And uh, John remembers playing with all of those little computer tubes when he was a young boy over in the, uh, in the science labs. 
And uh, so we're proud at Epsilon that uh, the inventor of the computer son was an Epsilon T and he's still with us. And so we started the John Adam Assoff scholarship and uh, we put some general money in that. That was scholarship money that was donated by somebody to our scholarship program. Maybe they sent a check in for $200 or $500 or you know, $20 and said, here, put this into the program. And we, we collect that money and we started the John Adam Assoff scholarship with that, honoring one of our very famous uh, Epsilon alumni. And that brings credibility to everybody else that's in the program. Um, uh, I guess what you wouldn't want to do is to ever stumble. You wouldn't want to have anything, you know, bad happen to the program to give it a bad name. It would make fundraising harder. So we continually drive value and honor to the program to make more people feel like they want to be a part of it. Well, and you can tell that this is a, a labor of love for you. How much time would you say you invest, Roger, in a, in a typical year in, in the scholarship program? Well, I don't think my wife is within earshot, so I can probably say <laughs> that. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a safe space. Um, I spend five hours a week um, on it um, if I average it out. Um, sometimes I'll go weeks and not really do anything, and then I'll say, oh, I better get back on track here. And, uh, and I'll send out, you know, a handful of notes and make some calls. And, um, but it's, it's not a, I, I maybe even called it a labor of love, or maybe you did, Frauder, but um, it's not really ever a labor. Um, when, when I'm signing off on a, on a $50,000 new scholarship endowed uh, pro, a scholarship for our fraternity, I know that long after I'm gone, long after that donor's gone, that scholarship is going to continue to give money to some young, worthy um, Epsilon frauder. And it's going to begin to build his base academically and leadership-wise as he meets that criteria. And, uh, and I know it's going to keep on giving. So it's, it's something that I enjoy. It's, it's uh, you know, kind of like uh, uh, hieroglyphics that I'll leave behind me at Epsilon chapter that, uh, that I'm proud to leave behind. And, and part of that heritage at Epsilon is, is the rebirth, really, of the chapter. Ten years or so ago, the chapter had, I would say, a, a down period where they regrouped and rebuilt, and, and this scholarship program, I believe, has played a, a big role in that. Can you talk about how the scholarship program is utilized as a tool in recruitment and how it seeks to gain the best men that we can to join our bond? Sure. Well, time flies. That was 17 years ago, Frauder. Um, uh, really the 2003-2004 era, we, uh, we had done, how did we get there? Well, we did what they tell you never to do, and that is we let rush lapse. We had a couple bad rushes in a row, and even at a chapter that's as strong as Epsilon, that was very costly to us. We had some bad rushes, our numbers dropped, we had the wrong kind of members, and, uh, and so we had to do a total rebuild. And as part of that, um, we started to say we need to grow our scholarship program so we have one more tool to offer in the recruitment process. So to give you an idea, we awarded um, 15 scholarships in 1997 and, uh, and today we awarded 76. Uh, those 15 scholarships in 1977 went to nine men and today we touch 42 men's lives. So we recruit 
heavily by talking about the scholarship program. We have a color uh, brochure detailing every scholarship and the amounts and the, who it's named after. And you can guess that I also use that tool when I'm out recruiting donors to the scholarship program. Uh, but, but we use it openly. We talk about how it's the largest scholarship program on campus here at Iowa State. And, uh, and we certainly want it to grow. Uh, 2023, we plan on having 2 million in our endowment. Today, it's, it's about 1.6, almost 1.7. And we have some pledges. And uh, we have two estate gifts that are not factored in yet. And um, I, I would like to say I've cl I'm close on a third. And so our ultimate goal, uh, and maybe you were going to ask this, but our ultimate goal would be by 2030, 2032, I'd like to be awarding uh, four to four and a half million dollars in our, our endowment and be awarding uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of $250,000 to uh, Epsilon undergrads annually. Love that goal. You've shared some, some great stories about the donors. Do you have great stories in terms of some of the recipients and how this, this scholarship money has helped to shift the tra trajectory of their life or maybe the trajectory of their collegiate experience. Maybe the scholarship drew them into joining the fraternity and then from there it took off. Do you have any anecdotes on, on the recipients of the, the scholarships? Well, I, I do. And um, uh, I don't know that I'm going to be violating any confidence uh, uh, confidentiality because this donor is so proud of what he's done and what he's become um, uh, both at Epsilon Chapter and after Epsilon Chapter. And so let me talk about Frater Brent Johnson. He pledged from Clinton, Iowa in 1979. He was a member of the, uh, the 79 uh, recruitment class, which I had the honor of being hegemon for. And uh, Brent went on, uh, worked for the Reagan administration. Um, uh, if you ever go back in the archives, you'll see that uh, the Teak uh, Convention was in Virginia and uh, we actually opened, they opened the White House gates and there's a photo taken on the White House grounds. That was all engineered by Frater Brent Johnson from Epsilon. Brent started an engineering construction business and grew that up. And he always said that Teak changed the trajectory of his life and Brent was a scholarship winner. About three years ago, I stopped in Rockford, Illinois to have lunch with Brent, and he knew I was gonna ask him for money for our program. And as we sat down to lunch, he said, Roger, he said, I'm gonna give you $50,000, not a penny more, not a penny less. Don't, don't change that number because I know you're here to try to get me to give more money. And by the end of lunch, uh, Brent had given $100,000. And with tears in his eye, he said, Teak changed my life. And I'm merely giving back a small portion, a very small portion of what Teak did for me. And I had tears in my eyes and, uh, and, and Brent's a proud donor to our program. That, that's what this fraternity is all about. It's why men like you do the work you do and why I'm blessed to work for the professional staff and lead the organization forward is because of the experiences that it gives us. And that's hopefully something folks learn from this podcast and, and even the webcast that we possibly put forward is the fact that you're, you're not twisting arms. You're simply having conversations about the impact of this organization and how folks can continue to 
to see it move forward and continue to pay it forward. So thank you for that, Roger. And excited to hear about, about the work that's being done in terms of recruitment as well, because I think at times folks think about the scholarship program as an alumni type program. Yes, it benefits our collegiate members, but the collegiate members are using it to your point in how the day-to-day -day conversations are having. I know when, when we're at regional leadership conferences, they're talking about their scholarship program in recruitment sessions when guys are sharing best practices and you, you see other groups, their, their faces go white and thinking, oh, wow, I wish we had a scholarship program like that. And, and then they start to, to start to piece together how it can all tie together from, from alumni support to future collegiate members being part of the organization. When you think about your alumni association shifting gears a little bit, can you talk about the alumni association at Epsilon? I know that you've, you've been highlighting the heritage of, of Epsilon and myself and the current Venerable Grand Prix, we were lucky enough to be there when you celebrated your 100th anniversary at Epsilon and the size and scope of that event, I do not want to, there's no way I will give it justice. So I want to turn that over to you to tell the story, even just of the celebration of 100 years of Epsilon, the work you put forward in that event, and how you've built this army of folks in your alumni association. It, again, it starts with good communication. We have a, a newsletter called Chimes. It's four color. It has four color photographs in it. Uh, we highlight two alumni per newsletter. Um, we highlight two donors, either to our chapter building programs uh, we're in the middle of a three and a half million dollar remodeling project right now. If you drove by the teak house at Iowa State, you'd see cranes in the front yard and service trucks all over the driveway. And, uh, and so we communicate uh, back who the donors are to those programs. We have the president has his 400 word um, story about the, 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 what's going on in the chapter. We unfortunately list who went to chapter eternal since the last newsletter. And we talk about some of our alumni highlights in their careers uh, and then maybe a few other things going on in campus. But we use that newsletter as a way to communicate with our alumni. And, uh, and due to kind of people being overworked once in a while, every once in a while we'll go six or seven months without a chimes. Um, and we hear from our alumni. They go, what's going on? I, I want to chimes. What's who's tell us what's happening. That's when, that's when you know you build a great culture right there. Yeah. And so we get that little swift kick in the pants and uh, and we get a chimes out. And but we hire somebody to help us do that chimes uh, to kind of make sure the writing is correct and we get the stories right. Because I think sometimes if alumni try to lift every bale that goes into the hayloft, um, you won't get as many bales in the hayloft. So we do outsource some of that work to someone who helps us get that done. And then we actually outsource the mailing. So if you wanna have a good alumni association, have a good communication, have your Preakness involved in telling what's going on in the chapter, have some stories, not just about the current chapter, but have some updates about alumni through the ages and highlight a, a couple. And use a mailing house that when they make the mailing, if the address if it bounces, it's gonna come back with the right address. And I don't know all the technicalities of this, but you can actually pay a different postage fee to get those address changes back. So at Epsilon right now, I think our scroll is up to about 24, 25, I believe. 
And um, we've lost about 800 frauders over the years uh, to death. And uh, I think we're missing right now 70 frauders. We either have them on the list, deceased, uh, a few that say, don't say me any mail, but only about 70 are lost. And so having a good up-to-date program will go a long ways into improving your alumni program because you're communicating with them. Stop communicating with your alumni, your, your alumni program will come to a screeching halt. Communicate with them about what's going on in the chapter, what's going on with the alumni, paint a good picture for the future, but don't be afraid to address some of the downfalls and, uh, and you'll receive money and you'll receive donations and you'll receive uh, a growing interest. And of course, you're gonna receive legacy referrals for people that wanna be in the fraternity. And can you highlight, I touched on it a little bit, the 100th anniversary. We do have a number of, of our chapters that are either approaching a 50 year anniversary, a 75 year anniversary, a 100 year anniversary, and, and even some of those that are approaching a 25 year anniversary. And I know they all want to host big events. And obviously we're in a, a period of COVID right now, but eventually we do expect we're gonna move forward and be able to have in-person events again. And when, when that happens and these groups want to start to hold those events, can you give a little bit of behind the scenes and how you were able to put together such a large event, the work that went into it and, and the type of folks that you were able to, to get in attendance? Because as someone who was non-Epsilon Teak, to be a guest at the event, to participate not only in the banquet, but also the Iowa State football game, it was a phenomenal weekend altogether in the work that, that you and, and the team have done. Well, have a, have a good uh, co-chairperson. I co-chaired that event with Frauder Mike Beals, and Mike is a phenomenal individual. His father was in my pledge class, and uh, and Mike was a great, great co-co-chair of that event. We farmed out many of the activities. We decided we wanted to sing some old songs like we used to, so we created a song committee, and they went to the races. We had a Frauder come from Alaska because he played the piano before dinner when he was in school in the 60s. And he said, there's no way anybody's gonna play the piano other than me at the 100th anniversary. And, and uh, that frauder came from Alaska. Communicate years in advance. Don't start 12 months or 10 months in advance. Communicate years in advance. Just tell them the date, set the location. You don't know the program yet, but start communicating early to get it on people's schedule. Send out some cards, just like they do today for so many things, save the date. Then communicate, bring your spouse, bring a, a group from your era and get a table ahead of time. And then we sat people by those tables as they signed up. We used our local convention and visitors bureau, uh, paid them, I forget how much, it was maybe 11 or $12 ahead they professionally know how to put on these events. And it made all the difference in the world, kind of like farming out that newsletter. So instead of alumni trying to do it all and doing it somewhat poorly, they were awesome. They collected the money, they managed the money, they made so many things so easy. We got 30 old composites, kind of two or three years apart to span a long period of time. And we had those enlarged into, I believe they were 36 by 42 inch composites on foam board. And uh, we've used them several times since the 100th, which is only five years ago um, for other events. And we got little um, 
easels that they stood on from the Ames Convention and Visitors Bureau. And we put those all around the banquet room. And you would, you'd look at out there and there'd be people jammed around a composite from 1957 and they're talking and telling stories. Now that's back to basically a touching point with your alumni, making them feel like they should be donors at some point because they have that feel good moment, it's stewardship. Um, we, we updated the history of Epsilon and then we had that read from the podium and it took about 15 minutes to read the history of Epsilon and I had frauders come up to me later and say, I want that script. There are things in there that I, uh, I didn't know. And you bet, I've called on every single one of them for a donation since then. Again, back part of stewardship. Um, we had Daughters of Diana come. That was our Little Sisters program, which I don't think that you're allowed to have anymore. We had Daughters of Diana come, whose husbands weren't Epsilon Teaks. Maybe they were Pikes or Betas or Delts, but by golly, they were gonna come. We had a gal come whose brother was a teak and has been gone for 20 years. She came from West Virginia. We had another gal come who was divorced from a teak. He didn't come, she did. And, uh, and we love those stories. And uh, it was a little awkward for some of the other guys at the table who actually still hang out with him. But, uh, but I would have rather, I was much happier to have her there uh, because she really wanted to be there. We had a couple old uh, former house mothers there and uh, the university was represented and uh, we had old pictures and uh, it was really a fun celebration. And uh, we charged enough for the event. I think it was 75 or $85 a person that we covered all of our expenses. Well, Roger, I could, I could sit here and listen to you tell stories all day, especially the way you go about it, but also the love and the passion that comes behind it. And that's in getting to know you a little bit through the years, uh, and spending a lot of time with Mike Beals, who, as you said, has been your running mate on, on a lot of these different projects. Now he's the Grand Chrysler, so he's one of my bosses, but someone who I've gotten to know so well over the last decade. Uh, and, and the stories that he shares about you, passion and love for the fraternity is something that I know uh, is, is inside of you and something that you also serve on the Founders Housing Fund Board. I think that's important to know because so many of our frauders, they know about the Founders Housing Fund Board. They contribute to it on an annual basis, our collegiate members. And, and at times they don't get a chance to meet or know as much about some of those members who sit on that board. My final question to you is what does drive you to be so engaged? Someone who has found so much success in life, who has so many contacts, so many places where you can invest your time, talent, and treasure. You are such a, a giving person to this organization, this fraternity. What drives that? What inspires you to continue to do it year after year and invest this 250 plus hours just simply to the scholarship program, not even to attending Epsilon type events or even Teak International events and, and continuing to give time on some of these boards. Well, Frater, Epsilon's chapter changed my life. I showed up at Iowa State in the fall of 1976 and I joined the dorms. My brother was in a fraternity at Iowa State, not Teak, and it was an awful fraternity. It was Animal House on steroids. It was just simply awful. And I said, there's no way I'm going to join there. And my parents soured very much on fraternities when they saw what my brother went through. And, uh, but I saw these guys running around campus with these little Greek letters right here on their shirts and their jackets. And, uh, and I wanted to know more because they seemed to have their hair parted just right, their, their pants 
had a belt and their shirt was tucked in. I think those are all cliche for students today, I know, but I think it drives home the point that these, these men carried themselves well. And in class, they looked smarter and acted smarter. And so I signed up for Rush. And I went to three or four fraternities. And, uh, and then I went to the teak house for dinner. And these two seniors sat down with me and they did everything you're not supposed to do during recruitment. They asked me hard questions. They wanted to know why I deserved to be an Epsilon Teak. They wanted to know why I was gonna move the needle at the fraternity. And, uh, and, and uh, you know, they were pretty rough on me, but all in a positive way that I got what they were selling, which was, we wanna be above the rest. And I didn't get that feeling in the other fraternities. I couldn't wait to come back for my second visit to Teak. And, uh, and that first night I was there, I met Mike Beal's dad, Larry, who pledged earlier in the fall. Fast forward, um, I joined Teak and, uh, and I learned that I had to run pretty hard to stay caught up with those successful men that were ahead of me in the fraternity. And I did, and a couple years after that, my dad took me aside one day and he said, I was all wrong about this fraternity experience in you and Teak. He said, it's the best thing that ever happened to you. And so I never looked back when it came to my Teak experience and my Epsilon experience because Teak changed my life. So today I do have a little more time on my hands since I sold my business. And, uh, and I say to myself, how can I help make an impact on that fraternity like Spike Craddeville did for 39 years when he was our advisor? While I'm technically not the advisor, I can have an impact in other ways. So I love giving back to an organization that changed my life, and I'll continue to do so. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for all that you do for this fraternity and for Epsilon Chapter and the, the pride that you take in, in membership and the things that it has done for you and what you have done for it. Uh, I want to end by giving you a platform to talk to all of Teak Nation. Any final mes messages that you have for Teak Nation, whether it be our alumni or collegiate members, anyone who tunes in and listens to this podcast, any messages you want to share with our membership? Wow. Um... That's a, that's a pretty wide platform, but uh, I would say whatever you're doing, um, do it better, uh, especially to you undergrads that are listening. Um, whatever you're doing, uh, pick up the pace. Do it a little bit better. As they would have said to me when I was an undergrad, tuck your shirt in. Um, and, and I think you'll know what I mean by that. But what can you do? What, what activity are you doing in the fraternity that you can take to a higher level than what you found it when you started? What can you do that in 10 years you can look back and say, they're still doing what we started? It's that impressive, it's that good, we gave it that kind of a foundation. Um, to your alumni, uh, consider helping your chapter set up a scholarship program. It's the gift that keeps on giving. It's the gift that keeps on recruiting. It's the gift that keeps on creating leaders in your own chapter. Name a scholarship after yourself. Name a scholarship after that guy who pledged you, your first roommate, the guy who kept you in school, uh, the house mother that really set you straight. Uh, any and all of those things. Uh, but do it to honor your fraternity, do it to honor yourself, and do it to honor your chapter. Uh, Teak, I know, means a lot to all of you, and uh, as it did to me, and uh, and I hope that you will look at this as an opportunity 
to do something to honor yourself as you honor your chapter. Thanks for letting me be a part of this, Robert. Thank you, Roger, for being here and sharing your wisdom over 45 minutes. For everyone who has tuned in this 45 minutes, take, it, take advantage in not only the information that Roger has shared, but also in sharing this out to others. You've got someone who has been extremely successful in the world of business, but as you can see, he's been extremely successful in the world of business because of the type of person he is, because of the relationships that he has built, because of the way that he tactically goes at things and how he's always trying to elevate his standards and elevate his performance and, and frankly, contribute to better environments because he was a part of them. That is what the fraternity is built upon. That is the culture that we have been fostering. It's, it's why the theme of the biennium is the expectation of excellence, which came upon the heels of building a championship culture. And, and it is really the fundamentals of who we are and where we're going as an organization. If we want the fraternity to continue to be impactful in people's lives for the next 100 years, as Roger just talked about, the impact it's had on the past 100 at Epsilon, we have to continue to elevate in the, the things that we do, the way that we communicate, the messaging that we're putting out to the world, and the types of men that we're bringing in our organization, and then the ways that we're communicating and facilitating change and engagement with our alumni. So with that, Roger, thank you again for being part of this episode of the Teak Nation podcast. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Please share it on social media, engage, and, and ensure that others get this message and are inspired by it and ready to move into action to support others on scholarships and alumni engagement. Thank you all for being here today. Thank you.